For children in poverty, life has always been hard. But the pandemic, war, and weather disasters have thrust families into a global food crisis. The hungry are even hungrier. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, you provide the food, clean water, and other support needed to make sure your child survives. Plus, with your love and encouragement, that child can grow and thrive. You can find out how and choose a child to sponsor when you click on the Compassion banner at ksbj.org. One of the blockbuster movies from 1991 was the Billy Crystal hit, City Slickers. It was a story of three friends, all in the middle of their own midlife crisis, who go on a two-week cattle drive to discover the meaning of life. The story opens when midlife dad, played by Billy Crystal, speaks at the dad's day for his son's class. Instead of telling the third graders about his job, he digresses into a personal rant. Value this time in your life, kids, he says, because this is the time in your life when you still have choices and it goes so quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything and you do. Your 20s are a blur, your 30s, you raise your families, you make a little money and you think to yourself, what happened to my 30s? Your 40s, you grow a pop belly, you grow another chin, the music starts to get too loud and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have a minor surgery, you call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your 60s, you have a major surgery. The music is too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. 70s, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at two o'clock, lunch at 10, breakfast the night before. And you spend most of your time wandering around the malls, looking for the ultimate soft yogurt, muttering to yourself, how come the kids don't call? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke and you end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> no one ever thinks about midlife until you're in it. And then when you're in it, you have no idea how you got there. But there can actually be a great place to stop and spend a few years. I'm Kim Weir. This is the Art of Friendship Podcast. They say everyone who lives long enough will get to old age, but you got to get through midlife first. And it has its own unique set of challenges because the thing that characterizes midlife most is change. Change in your family life, change in your body, change in your relationships and your responsibilities. Midlife can bring on a career crisis, an identity crisis, and even a faith crisis. With all that can come an emotional crisis. It's like puberty, only instead of getting zits in your period, you get Xanax and you lose your period, at least if you're a woman. If you're a man, midlife can make you start acting like you're 17 again. Perhaps I exaggerate, but midlife is arguably a new season with new challenges. And that means it makes sense to plan for it if it's still ahead of you and to talk about the reality of it if you're in the middle. Because while it can be a crisis for some, it can actually be an opportunity for those who prepare. And Michelle Van Loon is on deck to help us do just that. Michelle is the co-founder of theperennialsgen.com, which is a website for midlife women and men. She's the author of five books that all focus on life and soul care, including her latest. It's titled Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality in Midlife. And her insights today are for anyone who desires to find joy and purpose in the middle years. And it should be no surprise that what we're going to hear from Michelle is that friends and friendship is front and center in making midlife the best it can be. Let's talk to Michelle. Michelle, how great it is to have a midlife sister at the table today. Welcome. Glad you're here. I am so honored to be able to spend some time with you and your listeners. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny when I think about that idea of midlife, I, I'm a little loosey-goosey with that term because technically <laughs> if you hit midlife, you kind of have to double your age and say, yeah, I think I might be in the middle. Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm not giving you guys that information. I'm just calling it. <laughs> I'm in the midlife range, but that's a funny thing. Midlife can be different for all of us, because it, it's not necessarily an age, is it? it? It's kind of more a season. It's not like we wake up one day, in most cases, and say, I have now hit midlife. Uh, you know, a lot of us, if we have a 40th birthday or a 45th birthday, or we launch the first child out of the nest or the last child, 
we may recognize that we've crossed into new territory. But um, it is, we kind of ramp up to midlife as we move toward our 40s in most cases. Um, and it is a, a long chunk of time. You know, I, if our life expectancy in this world is 75 to 80 years right now, um, you know, 40 kind of is the midway point. And a lot of stuff happens to us, happens in our hearts, minds, and souls, as well as our bodies, as we transition out of the first part of our adulthood. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that out of just the typical thing we think of, which is circumstantial. A lot does happen circumstantially um, in midlife because we're sandwiched between adult kids and aging parents. We're kind of at, at a interesting point, generally, a lot of us in our work life, starting to think about what that might look like winding down. So there are a lot of uh, circumstantial things that traditionally mark midlife. And so to remind us that that's not the only thing that's happening, that there are some soul things and spirit things that it would benefit us to think about. I want us to go to some of those places today. I do think that it's helpful as we frame this conversation before some of you who are in your 20s or 30s or some of you that are in your 60s and 70s decide, oh gosh, this isn't going to be a relevant podcast episode for me. Hold on. <laughs> Don't go anywhere That's for a couple right. reasons. That's right. Because first of all, when you think of mid, it's not the midway point. It's the middle years. Don't think of it as midlife. Think it as middle life. And Life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And middle is a lot of it. It's a big chunk. And so I want you to think about how you might be in the middle because a lot of the things we'll talk about will relate to you. And here's the other thing. When you're younger, midlife, middle life can seem far away. In fact, we don't want to think about it so we can put our head in the sand. One of the best pieces of advice that I ever received was plan ahead for it because if you ramp up toward the events and the emotions of middle life ahead of time, you will not be caught up in the whirlwind of change in the same way. You, If you think about what you want your life to look like, what you want to be doing, and you actually lay some groundwork for that now in your 20s and 30s, then the transition will be smoother. So wherever we are on the spectrum, really, this is a conversation that can be beneficial. And if you're 25... You surely have relationships in your life that are people in their 40s or people in their 60s, or at least I hope that you do. Most of us know people of a variety of different ages. And so it can be helpful to kind of understand what's happening, um, just like we do, as you pointed out so well, for warned is forearmed as the old saying goes <laughs> yeah. and honestly i i remember with my first baby i'm mom of three and grandma of two but with my first baby my husband and i trotted off to childbirth preparation classes and i left because of course you get a bunch of kind of this is how it's going to go this is what it's going to look like Sometimes that's true and sometimes it doesn't work out exactly like they planned and you don't know what your body and you are going to be like in that situation. But it takes away some of the fear and the disorientation. And really the disorienting part of midlife is the thing that tends to kind of knock people people's feet out from under them. Um, even if you know it's a time of change and your body is going through multiple complicated changes and your relationships are changing and your roles are changing and, and you're experiencing loss in new ways. And maybe church has changed. Like a lot of us, if you know it's coming, at least you can kind of brace yourself as those waves start to roll in. Wow. For those who aren't looking ahead and who haven't wanted to think about it, you've just painted a picture of a lot of consequential things. Just even to, to look, carve out one of them, 
um, obviously men and women, I know you're listening to this, but for women, the physical, the physiological changes that unfold in those middle life years. And it's not just like, Ooh, it happened. I'm this way one day and I'm this way another. Holy cow. (laughs) It's more like waves of the sea rolling in, you know, onto the shore. They roll in, they roll out, they roll in, they roll out. I'm talking about hot flashes and other things, (laughs) you know, these are things and emotions and that kind of thing. So women in particular, uh, have some, some things that if you don't get caught off guard, it will be better. So thanks for, I want to say thanks a lot for painting that picture. I but, know, but, that's right. <laughs> Just call me Susie Sunshine. That's for sure. But here's the yeah. thing. It actually can be sunshine. We don't have to look at our middle years as primarily season of lament because you lost things. And I know that's part of your message is, yes, we're going to lose things. You're going to lose hands-on parenting. You know, you're going to lose you know, tight skin and a firm butt. <laughs> like you're, you're just going to lose it. But what is there to gain? And we want to be sure to focus on that. Well, I think the truth about transition in general um, is that transition is another way of saying grief. You have to let go of one thing and kind of like a trapeze artist before you grab onto that other trapeze that's swinging toward you, you're suspended in midair, you know, and a trapeze artist will train and they know how to spot and somehow they seem to almost defy gravity. But the transition part of it, you know, you have to say goodbye to parts of your life in order to be able to receive what is waiting ahead for you. And that isn't always a quick process. It's not neat and tidy. There's no nice little four-step formula, you know, that rhymes or has <laughs> rhythm to it or whatever. It It is a process. And so when I've written about midlife, I've written about midlife for practically my entire early part of my midlife years, there is always the recognition that it's a process and that God is at work in that process in ways that are meant to drive us toward maturity, um, spiritual maturity, maturity of wisdom, and an understanding of who we are and who we aren't in this world. I was thinking about the title of your book, Becoming Sage, and also using the word cultivating uh, tied into things like purpose and spirituality and meaning. So there's just, those words are loaded. (laughs) Um, Just the idea of of sage, it's not a word that's in our common vernacular anymore, um, but it's a meaningful word. And, And also the word cultivating, which just has such a participative meaning to it. So tell me what comes to your mind when you think about the idea of sage, because becoming sage, this is what you're aiming for. This is what you're calling us toward in midlife. So what do you mean by that? I don't know if I always am good at short answers. (laughs) I try, but this is one where I think a lot of us, we, we go to Sunday school, we go to church, we, we participate in Bible study, whatever it is, we learn kind of the basic disciplines of what an adult Christian life looks like. We serve, we read, we give, we pray, you know, we're in community, you know, and we understand what those basic disciplines are. Absolutely, those things are foundational to to cultivating a relationship with God. But the tasks, the developmental tasks, the, the life challenges that meet us at midlife require different responses that some of those old patterns and habits are helpful but they may not all translate into um, continuing to grow and mature in our faith and in our relationships and our in our place in this world we're called to wisdom Scripture is pretty clear about that. We're called to become mature. 
Um, it, we're not going to the store to buy maturity. It's not a finished product. It's a process. And so um, the language of my book's title, Becoming Sage, kind of points toward the fact that this isn't a destination. You're not going to be able to check off all the boxes in a workbook to say, I've mastered this information. Each thing you learn prepares you for the next thing you need That's to right. learn, but also equips you for the next thing that you'll face. You know, uh, for a lot of us who are in middle life now, uh, one of the things that has been a challenge of our work life, really of life in general, is growing to be comfortable with technology. You know, we started out, we didn't have to use it. You know, it was, I remember my first job as a secretary, and let me just say, I was the worst secretary on the face of the planet. Oh, so I'm, I'm is, in that club too. This is I'm not a, something was, I'm bragging about. That's, <laughs> uh, it was a pity job. I didn't get fired. But, you know, it was sort of, I was super excited because the typewriter had a little digital screen, you know, that, that you could, you know what I'm talking about? It wasn't quite... Oh, yeah. A computer, but it wasn't quite an old typewriter. You know, and so, so there was a process as all of technology evolved, and I was already in the workplace of becoming sage when it comes to technology, building upon building this evolution of both skills and understanding, which would help me then have a, a bigger picture and begin to envision new opportunities. You know, all of that came as I learned these things. I mean, in a way, I kind of liken it to this place that we go through in life, you know, we're going to run into things that we didn't run into before. They're going to require us to develop, you know, new skills, a new way to implement our spiritual understanding in these new avenues. And a lot of that doesn't happen until the middle, you know, because we were babies. That's right. <laughs> That's, and some of it, some of the things that kind of were like the training wheels of our faith well, the training wheels tend to come off at midlife, and um, that can be very um, disconcerting. It throws you off balance, you know, like if you knew how to be a family, be a parent of kids growing up, learning to re-navigate those relationships as they start leaving the nest, for example, that's one that a lot of people can relate to. Certainly workplace um, relationships, especially for those that um, don't have kids and find themselves kind of pouring themselves into their career, a lot of times the career changes. For example, I have a sister who was a video editor and she did this for uh, a major cable network for many years. Well, eventually, I mean, she was good at what she did, but they could hire two people to replace her for less than they were paying Ouch. her and their tech skills were newer. You know, this is the kind of stuff that we run up against at midlife. And those are all losses or challenges, but it's not all buzzkill bad news. There's good news as well, because their space does open up, yeah. but it requires us to learn how to use that typewriter with the screen and then everything that came after it. <laughs> well, let me ask you just from a personal perspective. So I would love to know from your experience, what were a couple of the, the challenges that you found really disorienting. And then what were a couple of the opportunities that surprised you? Maybe you weren't looking for them. And then we'll start talking a little bit more specifically. Well, for me, when I was in my early 40s, a lot of stuff kind of happened. And it felt like a big pile on at the time. My mom died, oh, we relocated, we went through a very difficult church leadership situation. My husband was a lay leader and it was really difficult. We, my, I was launching kids from the nest. Um, I have three children that were born in the span of 36 months, so they did oh, everything golly. kind of in clumps and that included leaving you know, my husband was looking for a new job and it felt like every single thing, kind of the 
the props got pulled out from under me. And I was not really sure which way was up. I knew lots of scripture, but that by itself did not help me understand how to navigate this strange reality of grief and change. And also I was in perimenopause, which now there's much more talk about, but at the time I didn't understand that my body was ramping up for several years before I stopped getting my periods. And so there was lots of physiological changes, emotional changes. I hit clinical depression for the first time in my life during those years. So it that sounds like a laundry list of a lot of bad stuff. But you didn't expect any of that. Oh no. You weren't, you, you no. weren't going, okay, I Heavens, better prepare. No. Okay. Yeah. No. Which is which is part of the point of this conversation. That's we can help right. other people. <laughs> That's right. No, I was a little bit blindsided, especially because it felt like it was coming from so many directions at once that I was like, I'm not even sure who I am right now anymore. I I know who God is. I know what I know that I believe about him, but I'm like in a spaceship with no gravity and I don't know where to put my feet. And so that was the hard thing. One thing that I learned about learned as I was researching this book was something called the U-curve. Psychologists have done this research to be able to point out people in their 40s and 50s in every culture around the world. This is not just a Western thing or an American thing. The time in their life that tends to be the most difficult, that kind of turns them upside down and inside out, is actually that something big is changing in their lives. And that that period that kind of goes down like a U and then climbs back up again as you move through your 50s and toward your 60s, they call it the U-curve. And there was something that was kind of comforting in knowing that some of the way that I felt about the hard things was because my life was changing, my experience was changing, and it helped to be able to kind of relax instead of fight against it to recognize this. The thing that's been hard is recognizing that I'm not always hearing these kinds of conversations like about perimenopause or that you may experience depression as your body is going through physical changes or you're grieving as your nest is emptying. It's You're not the only one. And that's really powerful. That's a powerful thing to be able to say to somebody. You're not so unique that nobody else is experiencing it. And it is hard. And there's the empathy and understanding can really buffer some of those shocks to the system. Yeah. So you asked what was on the upside of that, what was on the good side of that. Um, I got greater clarity. There's a lot of stuff. I was the kind of person that said yes to every single thing that was ever asked of me. If somebody wanted me to be on a committee, I was there. The ability to say that I need to stay in my lane I don't need to save everybody or do everything for everybody. That's not my job. It's actually God's job. And by me stepping back from some things, it makes space for other people to exercise their gifts and grow their experience and their souls. So that was one thing. It's easier to say no. I'm saying no for good reasons, because God has given me an abundant life. There is an abundant life that emerges even out of those losses. There's a lot of great things that happen as you let go of the old and grab onto that other trapeze that's coming toward you. When you're in those earlier years, things are such a frenetic pace, particularly if you have um, 
a, a life with with a family at home. You know, you're having to say yes to being classroom teacher, special snacks. Yes, I'll take you to sports. Yes, we'll go to church. Yes, I'll make it to Sunday school. Yes, I will, you know, do a play date. I mean, you you are in a very yes trench because there are so many opportunities and so many other people you have to say yes to benefit. It's not just yourself. Um, and so I can see that when you get in, like anything, when you start to get on autopilot, you begin to think, okay, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Um, but when those opportunities stop flooding you like a fire hose and you start to realize, oh, wait, I can be more selective. Um, I, I can choose. I'm not having to, that I can see that the, just even the insight of saying to yourself, yes, is not always the right answer that that is something that midlife gives you margin to even consider <laughs> that yes is not always the right answer. But that comes with experience. Sometimes that comes with too many yeses, you know, and then it also can come with the breathing space to think about it, which you don't always Absolutely. get. Absolutely. In your Absolutely. younger years. And, and if you don't have a family, the same thing can be true. You know, you're, you're saying yes to outings. You're saying yes to friends. You're saying yes to growth. You're saying yes to more work opportunities and hobbies and travel and, you know, to to move into a later part of life where you just kind of go, wait, there's value in breathing. There's value in margin. There's value in rest for my soul. Right. And it isn't God that is driving a lot of that yes that gets us in the yes trench. He does ask us to do things. And he asks us sometimes to do hard and uncomfortable things. This isn't a matter of seeking comfort. Almost everything in my earlier midlife experience was mostly really uncomfortable stuff, but it got me out of some of the addiction of people pleasing or, you know, being afraid to be left behind the, you know, the FOMO things. There's a lot of stuff. And also right. just recognizing that God has given me these gifts in to use in this way. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is on the other side of that opportunity pendulum where maybe for a lot of us, it's, hey, I can have margin. This is weird. What will I do with this margin? How will I grow in this margin? But for a lot of people, it can also be the other side is why? What happened to my life? Why am I not getting invited to do things? Why? Where is my social life now? What? You know, a lot of it gets tied up in family commitment. And our, you know, when our kids move out, it can feel like we didn't realize it was coming. Our social life just moved out, that we didn't know how much of our, our community was intertwined with actually the role that our family was playing. And for me, I know that was one of those things that I, I, it caught me by surprise. I'm like, oh, wow, really? I was mostly connecting with people at the baseball park. <laughs> is that really where my life was? That is where my, what's where a lot of my, um, my relational need was getting fed because that's where I had time to sit and be with people and, and have relationship. You know, when you're stuck in the stands for three hours, you're building relationships. And when you're not in the stands anymore, really, are you going to grab a friend and say, let's spend three hours together? I didn't. And I didn't feel, I didn't see that coming. I mean, logically, if I thought about it, quite frankly, I should have, but I didn't see it coming until I started realizing this void in my life and this, this grief of where are my people? And um, it required adjustment for sure. But that adjustment, I keep going back to that word cultivating in your title. I mean, it required me picking up the spade of friendship and doing something with it. We've talked a lot about sort of just all the issues around. I hope we've painted a picture for you guys of why, if you're not there yet, it's important for you to stay engaged both in this conversation and in your life thinking ahead because, you know, these things are going to come to you and how you receive them matters whether they're disorienting or not. And so if you know they're coming, you'll have a better chance of receiving them well. But I want to talk about some specific things in midlife, when we're there, when we arrive. You had said earlier that one of the disorienting things for you was that you felt very alone in the experience, both in the physical experiences, in the emotional experiences, uh, in the grief experience of getting into that season and feeling like, wow, I'm the only one who's who's going through this. Um, 
that so explains so many times how we feel in life, regardless of what's throwing us for a loop. The very first thought we generally have is, I'm alone in this and nobody understands. Hence, the value of friendship. <laughs> you know, the, the, the key element that friendships can play, not just in the early seasons or the late seasons, but that, that middle season. And so um, just with that caveat, I do want to talk about how relationships change, what we can expect, what kind of groundwork we can lay, what we can do now if we're already here and we're feeling like we've lost our network. Well, I would start by your story about building relationships on the baseball field or at church activities or whatever. When that goes away and you lose kind of those ad hoc communities that form around family commitments or church commitments, you can suddenly find yourself feeling very lonely. I thought they were my friends. Well, they're a kind of friend, and some of those relationships do make the transition, and they translate to, you know, the next part of your life. But when when the kids leave the nest, and suddenly moms are all going in different directions, your mom group of pals, um, suddenly somebody's working full time, and or their kid has mental illness issues and so they've kind of pulled out of staying in touch or they're dealing with addiction issues it's so many things that happen during those years that your you know your pta pals aren't always the ones that are there for the next phase of life so that is very also things happen to you you may get called into a caregiving role um, we were very active caregivers for our grandsons and that we had them as much as three evenings a week, which meant my husband and I did not have much of a social life that we right. could build during those empty nest years. And so, um, you know, all of that kind of forces us to be able to think about our relationships. The other thing that happens is that sometimes you find you're out of sync with maybe an old friend, you know, the changes in their life or the, you know, experiences that you're going through may put you out of sync a little bit. And being able to recognize that that's a part of what all of this mess of growth looks like this cultivation that God is doing in your life and your soul is a part of it. The other reality is that it is much harder to make meaningful new relationships when you're older. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so true. When you raise your kids with another person, when you're having babies at the same time, when you have all of this stuff in common those relationships just grow and they become so significant and it's harder to find common ground outside of that. It, you're right. That is not the same kind of bonding. Well, and here's, I, I just found these stats this morning, knowing that we were going to be chatting about this. Brace yourself for these. This was from a university, I think it was University of Kansas study from 2018. It takes 40 to 60 hours of time spent together in the first few weeks after meeting for people to form a casual friendship. To transition from casual friend to friend takes about 80 to 100 hours of together time. For friends to become good or best or super close friends, it takes 200 or more hours of time spent together. Wow. Now... If you are caring for aging parents or grandchildren and working or active volunteering, serving other people, being able to put together that kind of time, that's like the bonds that you form in school or even working together on church projects or not so much in the workplace because you 
you might spend that kind of time with your coworkers, but those aren't, I mean, you're there for a purpose. It isn't necessarily to cultivate friendship. Mm-hmm. So just hearing those stats, if you're feeling like, well, I've lost my mom tribe of pals, you know, and now here I am and I'm feeling lonely, then throw in COVID and everything that we've experienced the last couple of years and the building of new relationships and the time that's required. Every once in a while, there's a lightning strike and you meet somebody and you just click and it's amazing and God draws your hearts together and you can kind of leapfrog over some of that time. But it was helpful for me to be able to realize that it just does take time to build new relationships. And that is hard at midlife. Yeah. I just try to help women and myself navigate, then what can that look like? Because if it's true, and those things are true, we, we know they're true just from our own experiences, that you can't just say, oh, you're going to be my new best friend. We hear that all the time. And then you never see that person again. You can say it all you want. It's not true. Uh, then, so what can I do? And so I tell people, all the time. And I mean this sincerely because it has mattered in my life, particularly in midlife. I didn't have a lot of time for things like, um, small groups at church, you know, where you're like, you're, you're put into a group of, you know, maybe 15 other, 20 other people you meet weekly or every other week, you know, life was busy. And then when you're picking and choosing, we did it for a while, but then it really, it didn't fit particularly as our kids got into junior high and high school. It's sort of like, that's out the window. Um, And then you get to this place where your kids are out the window. (laughs) They have literally flown the coop. And to be able to say, you know what? I might feel awkward, but I'm going to step back in because that is community. That is a ready-built community. And if I enter into it in good faith and I embrace the opportunity to build relationships because it's on my schedule, they meet every week for two hours you know, or they read every, you know, other week for two hours. It is powerful what that does. It it really is. I I can say that some of my closest friends now were not my closest friends three years ago before I got to know them in a particular small group. But I mean, you, you automatically are in an environment where people are encouraged to be transparent, to share what's real, to ask you to pray for their most difficult things. I mean, these are the elements that that are foundational to friendship, transparency. And so while these things are hard, there are opportunities for, I mean, that's not the only one, but there are ways to, we don't just have to go, well, okay, I'll be dead before I can spend two hours with somebody. <laughs> I'm going to be 85 before that happens. So it's a question of then how do we navigate that? There are options. That's just one. Right. For some people, they may do well serving alongside somebody else in a food pantry or, you know, a literacy ministry or something like that, where you're working together and that puts you, you know, kind of puts you up close with a new group of people, book clubs. If you're in a a cycle of feeling like I'm lonely and I don't know where I belong and I don't know how to jump in. And we all kind of know you kind of have to put yourself out there. You have to try. We know all that. But if our lives are complicated and we're lost in caregiving or we're dealing with um, physical changes or challenges or, or, or the list goes on and on. Um, it can be easy to get stuck in kind of a, a, a loop of self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, I'm lonely, I don't have any friends and whatever. And there's honest to goodness health consequences for, for going down that road. I quote um, in my book, uh, another writer who's written a lot about midlife named Barbara Bradley Haggerty. And she says this, I once believed having friends was a luxury. Now I know that losing friends can be lethal. Feeling lonely and isolated, no matter what your age, will shorten your life 
as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Her point is well taken. And so to be able to recognize you're probably going to lose some relationships, some relationships are going to change at midlife, but you will also be in a place to make new relationships as they emerge that are reflect who you are right now. I've been very blessed to discover some new friendships. No, I don't have the same, you know, lifelong history of my high school pals or toddler stories that I share with my mom pals. But I have somebody, you know, or a group of somebodies that I can talk to about what I'm going through right now that accept me as the person that I am. Yeah. When we think about the, even just the makeup of friends, you know, when you're younger, you, it, it feels most comfortable to be friends with people who are your age and who are in your stage. There's just something liberating and um, about getting to middle life because you realize and become comfortable with people who are in a stage you used to be. And you begin to see and admire people who are ahead of you in a new way. And I can say that in middle life, I have a wider age range and variety of kinds of friends than I ever had in my early years. And that has been such a sweet thing of, about this season is just the makeup of people that I see with new eyes, that I appreciate more, that I have a confidence that I didn't have before to enter into a relationship. Um, I have such dear friends. Now, I, here's the downside is, you know, I... I have a, uh, several mom friends who are in their 30s, and, and we became friends because they are working in a ministry that I'm working in. And the funny thing is, is it didn't occur to me that we aren't actually peers. Like, like I was still seeing myself, you know, at their stage because internally you're not seeing yourself so differently. But that can also be refreshing. So it's just one day it occurred to me, oh, wait, I'm not technically their peer. <laughs> I could be their older sister, maybe. <laughs> but then I also have friends that are, you know, uh, significantly older than me that before I might have just seen as a mentor. Now I, they're friends. You know, we, we've got, I've got some experience to share and it's just sweet. On the other side of that, you mentioned the fact that look, for all of those people who grew up with us, who are going to enter middle life with us, as much as we're going through changes, I think it's probably good to note and not forget they also are going through some tumultuous times. And it might be a good thing for us to say to ourselves when it comes to the idea of what does friendship look like in middle life? How is it different? Not only are the groups going to be different, the time's going to be different. It might be good for us to just say out loud, I need to give my middle life friends grace. That's right. I need to remember that what I'm going through and, you know, they're going to go through in their own way. And that may mean that for them, they need margin or they aren't navigating well or they're emotional. Maybe give grace to somebody who's in middle yeah. life because they're not going to be the same. Exactly. Absolutely. I think one of the greatest comforts of going through any season is the treasure of friendships. I mean, it's not just a luxury as the woman that you quoted learned. It really is a necessity. And we know that. We talk about this on this podcast all the time. That's the whole point of it, right? I mean, we were created to be in relationship. We are the image of God who himself is in relationship and we're made in his image. So this is a necessity. And it's not only a necessity, it's a command. And this whole, the whole premise of this podcast is based on John 15. You know, John, Jesus says that I'm your friend. You know, I'm your friend because I laid down my life for you. You're my friends if you do what I say. And then he commands Go love other people with the same kind of friendship love I just described to you. It's a command. And so we don't get to say in middle season, I'm taking a hiatus. It's too hard. I've lost my friends. Um, it, it takes effort, like every good thing. Every good thing takes effort. Uh, but gosh, these, these years of friendship can be so sweet because they can be very novel in nature. New people, new seasons of life, new experiences, you know, new ways to relate. New can just be scary. We've admitted that. And it can be hard, but it can be so, so good. It can. And there's a hopefulness to it as we recognize that the person we were in our 20s is a part of who we are, but 
we are growing and changing. God is calling us to pursue maturity. And that changes our relationships. It changes our roles. It changes everything. I'm grateful. I am very grateful for that now. I'm grateful for the people that stuck with me during the dark days of all of that transition <laughs> in my early 40s because I was not the life of the party. And I I kind of think of myself as somebody who walks into a room and I want to get to know everybody. I'm a huge extrovert. But, um, you know, grief and responsibility and loss, can they take a toll. But the people who loved me, not because I was of what I could do, but just were there with me, I, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the new voices that have come into my life. And I'm also grateful for the old friends that have survived. Yeah. The relationships survive. Some of them do. Well, and of, of those people who do stay around, I mean, so the great thing about it is you can laugh and cry together through it. That's the great thing about those friends who, who you are maintaining those ties, making the effort, which it does require effort because you know, the trajectory is going to be that when you both get to middle life to pull you apart as you both go through some of these challenges, the trajectory is the gravity is going to be away from each other. So to prepare for that, to talk about it with your close friend, to say, look, we're going to be getting here. How can we make sure that we are staying connected, that we're supporting each other, that we're encouraging each other through the changes of our lives, but also the changes that might come in our relationship? That's a conversation worth having because when you get there and you got those people with you, oh my goodness, to laugh and cry over the sags and the bumps and the challenges you know, of it, uh, to not feel alone in it, that's golden. It's golden. And it's interesting that the scripture that you quoted from John 15 is also preceded with the language of being connected to the vine. Yes. And that that primary relationship with God, even if it feels like you don't know where to put your feet right now, um, because your world is upside down and inside out, he is faithful to us even when we feel like our feet are in midair. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that because that primary relationship, the gifts that come in terms of friendship are blessing and fruit. They're not the, the anchor. They're not the root. They're not that main source of where it all comes from. So yeah, the two are tied together because it's Jesus declaring to be our friend, <laughs> to stay rooted in him. I think that's just a great transition maybe to this, this last topic as we wrap. And that is what to expect in our, in our spiritual life. What let, maybe what the opportunities are you mentioned earlier, and I've had this conversation with other people in relation to other transitions or changes, you know, what we believe about God is only theory till it's been put to the test. You know, uh, we had this conversation with Randy Frazee recently on a previous podcast. We're talking about life after death. I go back and listen to that. It was episode 100. If, if that's a topic that interests you, but one of the things he said was that when his mom died, he as a pastor had all the answers about eternal security life after death, heaven. And yet when his mom died, he found himself saying, do I even believe that? What is true about that? Why? Because it was the first time that in a really intrinsic way, he had to put it to the test. I think a lot, maybe midlife does that in some ways, in some areas of what we believe about God. Um, you know, obviously we're now starting to get a greater sense of our mortality. That's just one element. So when you think about how midlife jives with our growing spiritual life and our relationship to God, what might we expect that might surprise us and what are some opportunities? I am, I am grateful to know that though my faith, the core essentials of my faith have not changed the way that I practice, what I understand worship is, how I enter into relationships, how I deal with injustice in the world has matured. And that maturity means I'm not a 21-year-old woman, you know, 
that's relying on formulas to kind of bolster me and show me how to be. Those, those formulas, those training wheels are super important. But at some point, like Randy said, you have to figure out what's really yours. And God takes off those training wheels so that you can learn to ride into, into this what's next. You know, those early years can, in many ways, looking back in my life, um, be autopilot. You know, you, you, you survive by getting into routines. <laughs> you survive, right. you know, just the frenetic environment that you're in, the frenetic pace by getting into some routines and repeating them again and again. That certainly can happen in our spiritual life. I think it does happen in our spiritual life. And so <clears throat> when that routine breaks, what a great opportunity in, in middle life. Instead of going, whoa, what happened? You know, I, I'm to say, this is great. I'm going to look at my relationship with God through new eyes. I'm going to approach him in new ways. I'm going to challenge the things that I've believed. I'm going to put into practice some things. And um, the autopilot gets turned off. And the first thing that happens, you know, if, if you're not paying attention, if you're a pilot, is the plane starts to nosedive because somebody's got to take the controls. And I just think that that may be a good analogy for spiritual life in midlife. You know, you're not on autopilot anymore and either you're going to take control spiritually or you might feel like you're losing some altitude for a bit, but there's just some great things that can happen. And you can't go back. That that good sense point. of nostalgia that is, um, I think that it can become almost toxic. Not that we don't need to look back and remember well and honor what God has done in the past, but we can't go back. You know, it's the trapeze picture. When you let go of the trapeze, you cannot flip around in the air and go back. <laughs> you have to be suspended in midair and maybe drop a little like the altitude picture. But God is there and he is there. He's not going to let us splatter all over the ground. Um, some people sail through some of these years, you know, and they'll wake up one day and go, oh, I haven't got my period for a while. Oh, you know, everything in my life is full and rich. But I think after talking to people about this topic and writing about it for as long as I have, those people are a smaller minority. And I think it's important to say that because... <clears throat> We are really good about self-shaming. <laughs> we just are. This is what we do. Um, uh, and so it would be easy for us as we struggle to go, wow, there's something wrong with me. There are other people. They're all, I see them. They have it together. You know, they're not feeling weepy. They're not feeling grieved. I don't, they don't look depressed to me. You know, we have this picture and we can easily self-shame when we think that, that this is a breeze for everybody else. And you're right, it can be a breeze for a few people. And God bless them. I don't begrudge them, you know, a season of ease because they're going to have their own seasons of difficulty. Nobody gets out of this world unscathed by difficulty. So God bless them. But to know that we're in good company and you don't have to be embarrassed that it's bumpy and talking about it with other people for me, I think is also just a really key element to how you can, uh, gain that altitude back, you know, to get, to get control right. again in the skies. I wrote this book to be able to help people have conversations about their physical changes, their relational changes, their family changes, church changes, you know, all of these things are, if somebody doesn't put it out there, you know, and go first by saying, this was really hard, or I am currently having a hard time, or I've got questions. And we give people a gift by being able to be open and transparent by giving, if we go first, it's so easy for the second person to speak up and the third person to speak up and say, me too. And isn't that what friendship really is? Yeah. So I, I love that you're practically quoting out of my book from John 15, which is it is one of the three principles of friendship at go first. God said, Jesus said in that passage, 
you didn't choose me. I chose you. He goes first and he models for us what it looks like to go first with other people. And what a great application that is for another season of life that it also holds true there. So I appreciate that. Listen, I want you guys to take advantage of the mentoring that Michelle makes available. And you can start the conversation, but you can use what she has put out and putting in our hands as a catalyst for a conversation in your own life with the people that you care about. The book is called Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality in Midlife. But look, if you're not there yet, don't wait till midlife. Prepare. Midlife is middle life. It is a long season. It is not something you just suck it up and endure till you get on the other side of it. And so go into it pre-planned and prepared. And if you're already in it, then you might need to find a way to gain that altitude back and, and right the ship a little bit. And I think Michelle can help you do that. Michelle, you're delightful and you are transparent and I appreciate you so much. Thanks for helping the rest of us get through without limping through. Thanks for letting me come hang out with you. Well, we've spoken a lot of words today about the middle years, the middle life and making the most of them. But I want to wrap with just some words from God's word. This is from the book of James and Maybe you've never thought about these words in the context of middle life and the trials that can come there. But as you hear these words, consider it through that lens, thinking about it through this place of life or maybe the place you'll be at soon, the middle years. The wisdom of James is this. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet with trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord, for he's double-minded and unstable in his ways. Let the lowly one boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test and he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and he once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That entire passage might not seem relevant, but I really think it is. I think it's a guide to how we move forward. When we hit that bump and we look back and we think, my purpose is behind me, or we're just in the middle and we think, I don't know what direction we go. Remember, friend, that you are even there in a place where God wants joy to be your companion, that you can count it joy as you endure these things, not because they are joyful, but because of what they produce in your life. 
God allows these seasons so that we can grow, so that these stressful things, these trials can have a full effect on us. And he's there to give us wisdom. And he reminds us that it takes humility and it takes a steadfastness. It's also a season that can tempt us to do and say things as we try to find our place and our identity again. And yet we can look to God for the strength not to give in to those temptations. But instead, turn toward purposeful things, being a doer of the word. What does the word say? To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, as ourselves. Middle life is a long season full of so many opportunities to build relationships, to serve God, to find new purpose, and to look ahead toward all the good that God has for you. If I could give you a friend foray for today, I think it would be to grab a buddy and talk about your hopes, your dreams, your fears for midlife, some of the insights from today's conversations that are rattling around in your head. Prepare. And it's always better to prepare with a buddy. Make this something you do with a friend. Go into the middle seasons together. Or if you're in the mid-season together, throw each other a lifeline and swim to the shore and count it all joy. Okay, I'm so glad that you joined us today. I can't wait until we're together again the next episode of the Art of Friendship podcast. Until then, keep friending with purpose.